The following message was recorded at Fountain of Life Fellowship in Fountain Valley, California. For more information, please go to www.folfcrc.com. Yeah, I was reading a mission statement of your church. And uh, it seems like every other word in there is gospel, 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 gospel. And I thought since it's the beginning of the year, perhaps maybe we could all just refresh ourselves about the simplicity and the basics of the good news concerning Jesus Christ. And I think that if anybody today that was calls themselves a Christian was, was asked, you know, in one verse, can you tell us what the gospel is? They would pick John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And whoever believes in him, I'm going to add, in him, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already. You know, that verse, John 3.16, contains an awful lot, but what lays right on the surface of it is that there really are only two kinds of people in the world. There are those in this who believe in Jesus Christ as the Son of God and those who do not. There are those who have eternal life and those who perish. There are only two destinations for everyone born under heaven. And those two destinations are either the lake of fire or heaven in the presence of God. That's it. That's the simplicity of John 3.16. The world of men that God loved stands in a situation before God right now of condemnation. Everybody is lost. It is only in Jesus Christ, this is the good news, that someone can find safety. Listen to what John said further on in John 3.16 is 3.36. And he said this. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. But whoever rejects the Son will not see life. This is... It's hard, it's hard to read these words and not feel some sense of emotion about this. He says, for God's wrath remains on them. I want to read it again. I would let this sink in. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on them. The world abides under the wrath of God. Everybody, the pe- all the people that you know, all the people that you know have ever known all your relatives, all your friends, your children, for God's sake, our own children, everybody, this world lives and exists in a state of condemnation. That is the state of man. Listen, as the children of Adam's rebellion and disobedience 
every man, every woman, every child on this planet finds themselves at this very moment in time living out their lives under the wrath of God and only the next breath, the next breath separates them or me or you from enduring this wrath for eternity. If they or me or you are not safe in Christ. Jesus is a strong tower and a fortress and a place of safety. God so loved the world of men that he was willing to send his son into a world that was perishing and continues to perish, continues to be under condemnation, sent him that there would be a hope, that there would be a place to hide from his just anger. In case you missed it, God is very pissed off with the world. Earthquakes, famines, floods, tsunamis, these are acts of God. The world may ridicule this, but it is true. He is sending the message. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all the unrighteousness and the ungodliness of men who suppress the truth concerning his divinity and his power. Every agnostic, every atheist is a bold-faced liar. Because it says that in their hearts, because of what their eyes see, they know that there is a divine being who is powerful. Every sunset declares this truth. And in their hearts, they know and they deny. And so it's a, the scriptures say they are without excuse. Well, let's think about why this is the case. I think it, it, it bears understanding. Listen to the word of the Lord. What he said to Adam. But you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. When you eat from it, you will certainly die. Again, for as in Adam all die. I think the word in is probably the biggest little word in the Bible. Either you are in Adam, well, we are all in Adam, or we are in Christ. By one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. Therefore, as by the offense of one, judgment came upon all to condemnation. Adam gave us something. He passed on to us, his children, all mankind, what, his, what is his? Sin and death. There is none righteous under the sun. We lie, we cheat, we finagle, we lust. We want our neighbor's wife, we want our neighbor's husband. We fornicate. We, we talk about each other behind our backs. We gossip like crazy. We chew people up. The list goes on and on. We're gluttonous. We fill our bodies with things we should not do. There's no issue about this. We, are, we live and we cooperate in the very spirit of Adam himself. Adam was a rebel. Adam not only disobeyed God, Adam blasphemed, and so do we. Things don't go our way. We blaspheme. Who do we blame? We blame God. It was the woman that you gave me, he said. What kind of nerve is that? We're no different. We do the same thing 
Even we who are safe in Christ, God forgive us. Paul, I so appreciate your prayer this morning, Carl. It's the truth. By the way, only one, only one was righteous, Jesus Christ, because he was not born of the seed of Adam. Him, right? Conceived in the virgin womb by the Spirit of God. And therefore, that which was passed on to us by our fathers, my Adam, my father, he gave me what his Adam gave him and what all your Adams gave you. This sinful nature that resists God and cooperates with sin. Only Jesus. Therefore, he is able to be our Savior. That virgin birth stuff. Very, very important. Hear hear what Jesus said about perishing, condemnation, and the wrath of God. Jesus said, "I I can't quote a higher authority. Do not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be terrified, terrified of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Jesus said, if your hand causes you to stumble, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life crippled than having your two hands to go into hell, into the unquenchable fire where their worm dies not and the fire is not quenched. The unquenchable fire, their worm dies not, and the fire is not. Whatever that worm dies not, business is about. It can't be nice. I I, I literally picture the worms eating the flesh of somebody in the grave. And there is something of this, this, this eating in this place of unquenchable fire. You're all familiar with the story of Lazarus and the rich man? You know, the rich man is still there. It's been a couple thousand years since Jesus told the history of that rich man. He's still there in this unquenchable fire waiting for Abraham to bring, send somebody and and touch my tongue. I'm dying. I'm so thirsty. Jesus said, the one who sowed the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world, and the good seed stands for the people of the kingdom. The weeds are the people of the evil one, and the enemy who who sows them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the harvesters are angels. As the weeds are pulled up and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send out his angels, and they will weed out of his kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil. They will, be, they will throw them into the blazing furnace, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Whoever has ears, let him hear. Jesus said, But when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne, and all the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate them one from another, as the shepherd separates the sheep from the goats, and he will put the sheep on his right and the goats on the left. And then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you are blessed of my father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. 
And then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, accursed ones, into the eternal fire which has been prepared for the devil and his angels. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. The Apostle Paul said, Since it is a righteous thing with God to repay with tribulation those who trouble you, when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, taking vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, these shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power when he comes in that day to be glorified in his saints and to be admired among all those who believe. The Apostle John, called the Apostle of Love, says, Then I looked, and behold, a lamb standing on Mount Zion, and then I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven, saying with a loud voice, Fear God and give glory to him, for the hour of his judgment is come. A third angel followed them and said in a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast and its image and receives its mark on their forehead or on their hand, they too will drink the wine of God's fury, which has been poured full strength into the cup of his wrath, and they will be tormented with burning sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment will rise forever and ever. The lake of fire is described by these figures of speech. And bear in mind that the reality of anything is always greater than any figure of speech that can be used to describe it. A furnace of everlasting fire, a place of wailing and gnashing of teeth, a place of everlasting punishments, a raging fire that consumes his enemies, a result... <clears throat> the result of falling into the hands of the living God, the eternal fire of God's judgment, a lake of fire and brimstone, a place of torment day and night forever and ever, the second death, the blackness of darkness forever, the outer darkness, <clears throat> and a place where God is present in his wrath <clears throat> as the consuming fire that he is. And the kings of the earth, the great men, the rich men, the commanders, the mighty men, every slave and every free man hid themselves in the caves and in the rocks of the mountains. <clears throat> and, and said to the mountains of the rocks, Take a deep breath. Fall on us and hide us from the face of him 
who sits on the throne. And for the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of his wrath has come. And who is able to stand? You know, the tragedy of this. is that the very lamb whose wrath will consign the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters and all liars, to the fiery lake of burning sulfur, is the very lamb who takes takes away the, 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 the sins of the world. This is the verdict. The light has come into the world. People love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Herein is love. Not that we love God, but that He loves us. And He gave His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. My God, my God, why has thou forsaken me? I know why. (laughs) Because, really, there on that terrible tree, you're so kind. There on that terrible tree, Jesus of Nazareth, the Son of God, the last Adam, was bearing his soul and his body to the sword of God's justice, to the fury of God's anger, and he willingly drank the cup of God's wrath for the guilt of the sins of his people, for those who believe in him. He stood in their place, he took the blows, and he suffered unto death. Why? Why did the Son of God do such a thing? Well, Hebrews tells us, who for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. He despised the shame of it all. He counted it as nothing because of the joy that was set before him. 
He knew why he came. He knew what the end was going to be of what he came to do. Apostle Paul says it like this. He says, but God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only this, but we also exult in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. Paul, speaking to those who believe in Jesus, says this, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and its thoughts. Like the rest... We were by nature children of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you've been saved. And God raised us up with Christ, and he seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness. So the Lord himself in the act of giving his life and shedding his blood and enduring this awful cup of God's fury in our place did it with joy because he saw the end of it. He knew that he was doing this for his people. He knew that he had been sent by the Father to accomplish a purposes that he had come to be an everlasting father. The first Adam was a father that was temporal, sinful, and led to death. Jesus, the last Adam, is a father of a people that he calls out of every nation, kindred, and tongue. Every nation, kindred, and tongue in this world he will call people out of. In that sense, the whole world will be saved because there will be people from all the world there at his throne. All of this he knew he was doing to move aside the impediment, the obstacle. What was the obstacle? What is it that people are saved from? The wrath of God. Let us not forget this ever. This is the gospel. The good news is we are delivered from this obstacle of God's wrath and anger because of our sins. And it has been moved aside and therefore the Spirit can now come and he can make people alive that were dead in their transgressions and their sins. And that when he makes them alive, they will in fact never die eternally. They will never, we will never have to endure the wrath of God because of he endured it for us and he did it because he wanted us to be with him forever. Paul will say this a little differently. He says, in him you were also circumcised with a circumcision not before, before by human hands 
When you were dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, and he has nailed it to the cross. Something happened to you. God saved you. I don't know your story, but I know it goes something like this. You were living in this world not conscious of Jesus Christ and not conscious of God. You were going about your own affairs, living your life as you pleased, and living with the consequences of it, good and bad. Somewhere along the line, you heard about God, and you heard about the Bible, and you heard about Jesus, and next thing you know, you found yourself listening more than you did before, and at some point, you heard about Jesus on the cross, and somehow you begin to realize that this had something to do with you and him in a personal way. This was all developing. And then you found yourself all of a sudden with a tender heart towards God, with a tender feeling about Jesus, that your hard heart, your uncircumcised heart, the one that was given to you by Adam, something miraculous was going on. So much so now that you find yourself confessing your sins, asking God to forgive you. You find yourself believing that Jesus did all this for you. A circumcision was being done by the hands of the Spirit of God on your life and on your heart. He was doing a work. And your eyes slowly but surely began to be opened and your ears were open. Well, you find yourself sitting here this morning taking time out of your week and because you want to come and congregate with other people whose hearts have been circumcised by the Spirit of God. And you want to sing the song. I love this song. Great songs this morning. I mean, anticipated everything I was going to talk about today. I was kind of amazed. We are, we are, we are the true circumcision. God has done this work for us. He has saved us. Jesus of Nazareth, the last Adam, gave us what was his to give, everlasting life. Jesus said, Father, glorify your Son, that your Son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people, that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. Now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you've sent. Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you love me before the creation of the world. The Lord Jesus Christ's intent for your life is that you shall see the glory of God and the glory of His Son. Your eyes, your ears, someday will see Him and see that glory. 
More than that, we'll talk in a minute. But that alone, your eyes will see him. No longer will we have to walk by faith. Because we can't see that now. Except with the eyes of the Spirit. As I read these words, something in the eyes of your heart is able to reach out a bit and to see through that veil. But then we will see fully and we'll know fully. Down here, Paul talks like this. This is the most we can get a hold of. The Son is the image of the invisible God. He's the firstborn over all creation, for in him all things were created. Things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. It just makes me nuts. The, the, the environmental, I mean, the, the evolution people and the scientists in this world. Every time I hear that stuff, I, it's I just something inside of me just screams. It just makes me nuts. Jesus Christ created the world and every doggone thing in it, and everything exists and holds together because of him. And this huge lie. It's being spread amongst all the intellectual community of our nation to our detriment. Uh, I, I digress. <laughs> he has been seated at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me, John said, and when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands, and among the lampstands was someone like a son of man, dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet, and with a golden sash around his chest. The hair on his head was white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand he held seven stars, and coming out of his mouth was a sharp, double-edged sword. His face was like the sun shining in all its brilliance. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. And then he placed his right hand on me and said, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last, and I am the living one. I was dead. And now look, I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and Hades. You believe in Christ? You're in him? Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid, for God has not destined us for wrath, but for obtaining salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we awake or sleep, we will live together with him. Now, I want to stop a second there. We will never have to be afraid that the fury or the anger of God will touch us. But remember that we will all have to, as the Lord's people and his servants, stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And we will have to give an account for the things that we have done in our body, whether good or bad. There is this description the Apostle Paul talks about of us standing before that 
judgment seat and the things that we have done in his name and for him and in our lives with one another and what have you and letting our light shine or not shine and all these things that like wood, hay and stubble or like silver and gold there is a weighing and a measuring the Lord is keeping track of the way that we are living our lives and we will, you, there will be a day when you will have a one-on-one -on -one with him and there's going to be a revealing of all these things and it says, though, but you will be saved, if so, by fire. There will be, there's something about it that, 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 that wood, hay, and stubble and the barnacles of our lives, somehow or other, will be burned or scraped off as we move through that veil to stand in His presence. Because obviously, how could we bring any of that into the presence of God? That has to be taken care of. That day will come. But it is important for us to recognize there is responsibility for this. It's not as if we get off, as they say, scot-free. Wrath, no. But an accounting, absolutely. So be careful in these things. Let's listen to what... Just I, I put together a compilation here of this idea we will live together with him. We will behold his glory for we shall see him as he is. We will have a new name that only you, you're going to have a new name and that when he calls that name, you're going to be the only one that answers. It's going to be written on a little white stone, book of Revelation says. I find that an interesting thing. It have to be that way. Because if he said, Richard, well, there'd be an awful lot answered the call. I'm sure it's not going to be Richard, number one. I got a feeling it's going to be something very personal. Very, very personal. We are going to feast with him and each other at the wedding supper of the Lamb. We're going to be like him. Oh, it's, he's working on it now, but, you know, I'm 70, I'm not sure. I'm as much like him as I need to be. I know I'm not. I'm so, I think we all feel like that. But then, that'll pass. We will be like him. We will be, and this is hard to imagine, we will be glorified with him. Glorified with him. We'll be given bodies like his glorious body. I think about this. Imagine, no more fear of crippling and wasting disease, the constant irritation of aches and pains, the loss of strength and vitality, and the need for cosmetics to deal with the effects of aging. God, they're so expensive. <laughs> and we will have brains, we'll have brains that think clearly, learn thoroughly, create effortlessly, and never forget. These are things we live with every day. Well, especially me. We will know, look, we will know the peace and the safety of the celestial city as citizens of Zion. The heavenly Jerusalem will indeed be the city of new peace. The politics of greed and envy will be non-existent. Every soul shall be satisfied. There'll be no crime to go unpunished, no corrupt politicians to be impeached. 
I'm sorry. Forgive me, Lord. No false prophets and heresies to fight. No more anxiety over who can I trust. No more wealth confiscation through taxation. No one beat to death on the sidewalk while other people video the slaughter. No more fear of someone kidnapping your child from your front lawn or being raped or mugged in the grocery store parking lot. No more carjacking or fear of terrorist bomb threats. No more sexual perversion. We will all finally fully love our neighbors as we love ourselves, and there will be universal peace in the new earth. We will live forever with a family of believers from every nation, kindred, and tongue, Old Testament and New Testament, who will always be loving, always kind, always kind, always generous, and always productive. We'll dwell in the land of milk and honey. I love this one. We'll dwell in the land of milk and honey. Every man will sit under his vine and his fig tree. I love the, the, the poetry of Scripture. Listen, we're all going to have houses and lands to enjoy and manage for the glory of our God and King and for the sake of the general welfare of the kingdom. We'll work as God himself works. Never bored. Never, no more do-overs. Beauty and efficiency will grace the work of our hands. Others will find pleasure and utility in our efforts. Think Downton Abbey. Go ahead. Go ahead. Really, when you think about what the future holds for us, let your imagination imagine as great as you can. You're not going to come close what God has prepared for those that love him. Let that comfort you and encourage you in this world. Oh, we, you know, these words, if I was speaking these words in some of the more poorer areas of the world, I can imagine they would be heard with ears more, more than ours are because we enjoy so many comforts in this life. But this is the truth. This is the truth. Jesus himself said these things. Anyone who has done thus and so, what have you, for my kingdom, in, in that world, houses and lands a hundredfold. Why, why would the Lord tell us such a thing? Why would he say there's mansions? These things are being prepared for you. This we know. He always tells the truth. Yeah, I myself, <laughs> I, I, would, I, I would be so grateful just to have a nice little plot of land with just a little cottage on there, a nice little cottage, and, and a little vineyard, and, and, and a little fruit garden, and uh, a, a little orchard where I could grow things. And maybe, maybe out there on Salvation Way, I could open up like a little fruit and vegetable stand, and, and all of you could come anytime you wanted. And without price, you could come and take and eat and enjoy any, all that I could help to produce. And I think maybe in that little cottage, I'd like a nice kitchen, really nice big kitchen, so that Diana could be there and she could rattle some pots and pans. And she could make a great feast for all of us to come and sit and to eat and rejoice with one another. I know there's no marriage in heaven, but it doesn't mean that she can't come hang out. 
Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And then I, John, saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men. And he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. In your presence is fullness of joy, and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Apostle Paul said, who claimed he knew somebody who went to the third heaven, said, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and the glory of the children of God. For the joy that was set before him, he knew that he would create a new heavens and a new earth that would be perfect, wherein dwelleth righteousness and would be peopled with his people. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable, undefiled, and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Won't be any clever lawyers arguing over who gets what in the inheritance. It cannot be stolen. It cannot be corrupted. It cannot be changed. It is there waiting for you, and it will, in fact, be yours. Well, until then, what? I think this. I think all of us ought to take this to heart, and we should be thinking about what our future is as princes and princesses. Heirs together with Christ, it says. He is the king. Heirs together with him. We should think of ourselves in terms of being princes and princesses and preparing ourselves for that day when we will fully enjoy that position in his sight. And we ought to act like it. The Apostle Paul says this, Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ who is your life appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Set your heart and your mind on the things above. You know, these, these, these words here, what, we're, we're familiar with this. You know, I can't stop thinking about it. I can't stop thinking about her. 
I can't stop thinking about him. He's high school. He's girls in high school writing the boy's name on their binders. We, we, we're familiar with this. I can't stop, I can't stop thinking. Man, I've got this, uh, my rich aunt, is dying. I've got inheritance coming. I've been thinking about how I'm going to spend it. We're often, we do this all constantly. We're setting our hearts on things all the time, every day. And the Apostle Paul is trying to say to us, listen, make this a, a, a staple of your life, of your spiritual life. That's why every morning, I, every, when my eyes first pop open in the morning, first thing, our Father who art in heaven is what I pray. It makes me think immediately of heaven. Thy will be done. I said, immediately it takes me right. I think that's why the Lord, part of why he said this is when you pray, pray like this. He wants us to be thinking about heaven and glory and what is above and what is waiting us because that hope as we look forward, it's called the blessed hope. You can't live in this terrible world with all the trials and troubles and the physical pain, all the economic problems, on and on the list goes. We all have issues. We need that hope as we look forward to sustain us to move through the stuff we've got to deal with us in life. The Apostle Paul says, excuse me, Peter says this, for this very reason, Make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness knowledge, and to knowledge self-control, and to self-control perseverance, and to perseverance godliness, and to godliness mutual affection, and to mutual affection love. Apostle Paul will say, because of this, put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God's coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must also rid yourself of all such things as these. Anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other. Since you've taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge, in the image of its creator. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling and election. For if you do these things, you will never stumble and you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. After all is said and done, the world of men that John the Apostle declares that God loves will perish. Jesus said, enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction. And there are many who enter through it, for the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life. And there are few that find it. And although he said there are few that find it, we know that the few is a great multitude which no man can number of all nations and kindreds and peoples and tongues standing before the throne and before the Lamb clothed with white robes and palms in their hands. 
crying with a loud voice, saying, Salvation to our God, which stands upon the throne and unto the Lamb. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. For our God is a consuming fire. Jesus said this. These are the words that he will say on that day to you. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of the Lord. Amen.